Hi, my name is Aisha McGowan, and this is Quick Brown Foxes, a podcast where I seek to help answer the question of how to get more women of color into cycling by asking women of color how they got into cycling. In this episode, I'll be speaking with Nam Arya, a first-generation Tibetan American who came into bicycling as a form of environmental activism. She's also one of the phenomenal leaders of the WTF Bike Explorers. And while she bases herself in Connecticut during the winter, according to Nam, she's pretty much based out of a van. But I'll let her tell you for herself. My name is Nam Arya. Um, that's kind of my pen name right now. Arya is the last name of my father who passed away when I was two, and there's a lot of power in that name, so I'm claiming it. Um, I am from I'm from I'm from the Himalayas. Like that's what my body says. Um, but physically, I'm from like India and Connecticut in the U.S. And where do I live currently is um, in a van. I travel around quite a bit. So I'm in Connecticut during the warmer seasons. And I go to Arizona and California and the Northwest when it's really nice out because the riding there is so good. Um, I identify as a Tibetan American. That's what I've been saying um, lately, even though that's something that I really didn't like that hyphen of adding American in my 20s because <laughs> I thought that erased my, that like, I don't know, dulled my Tibetanness. But now I'm coming to realize that like there is a specific Tibetan American um, culture and a sense of self. And I think, I think I align pretty well with that. I'm not like this, this idea of a pure Tibetan doesn't really exist. We, we have to in diaspora have to be in these hyphenated identities because we take on wherever we're at. Mm -hmm. So um, that's how I identify now as an immigrant, as a Tibetan American. Um, I feel weird about calling myself a woman because I don't really feel like a woman, but I do use it sometimes because I feel solidarity with women and I feel a sense of responsibility um, in, I don't know, representing women and especially women of color in a, in a more, you know, positive, empowered light. So cool. that's me. <laughs> I like girl. I, I've been saying girl for myself a lot. And I, that's kind of cool. As like 34 year old, I can still be a girl. <laughs> Sweet. Um, do you have gender pronouns that you prefer? Um, I use she, her. Okay. That's, that's fine by me. Um, yeah. Sweet. So, Mom, how did you get into bikes? How, are, how did um, we get here? Yeah, how did we get here? Well, I started riding a bike when I was in India, and I taught myself how to ride the bike. And so I've just started calling myself a cyclist. Wait, how old and were you? I was six. Okay. Um, and my mom had come to the U.S., uh, before I did. So she came here on like a lottery, essentially. And um, she left us behind so she could make enough money here to bring us all here. Because uh, immigration papers cost a lot of money, like a ton of money. 
just getting paperwork through is like 600 bucks at least. So I started riding a bike in India because I think, I think I needed it. Like I, my little six year old self knew that I needed some kind of a thing. I'm sure. And I remember like spinning, uh, spinning the crank arm for the first time, like three times in a row. And I just like, there was a moment where I was like, okay, this is, this is, (laughs) I got this. I got this. This is awesome. Where did the bike come from? Um, The bike came from a visit that my mom, uh, one visit over four years that she was able to do. Um, and she bought us bikes as a present. Um, which was a really big deal because we were super poor and didn't really, uh, we couldn't afford like new clothes or new anything. And when she came down, she was, she was able to buy me and my little brother. It was a shared like little black bike. And, um, I learned how to ride on that and it was, it was sweet. It was almost like she left a piece of herself with us, you know? Um, and that ended up being the thing that gave me freedom to move around Um, and then how I got into bikes on a regular basis now is through like environmental activism and not wanting to, um, ride or be in a car, um, in Boston actually, because there are uh, plenty of people who are into bikes in Boston and I was in my early twenties and the T takes forever. Um, it's just so much faster to get places (laughs) on a bike than the T. Yeah, I know. It's like, and it's expensive too. It's getting more and more expensive. You have to pay so much money to wait and be miserable. And I'm like, why would I do this? No, there are other options. Yeah. So I would say like kid was activated and I don't think my story is like super unique. I think the setting is unique, but, um, and then Boston as like a, as a commuter and lately, I started touring when I turned 30 because I got gifted a touring bike and that's just more like the love and appreciation and the commitment to it just kept growing. Um, but I think the spark was, you know, spinning, spinning and balancing for the first time and just feeling the sense of like, Oh shit. Like the world has just totally changed now. I remember it so clearly because there's so much I don't remember from my childhood, but that I remember really really clearly and remember feeling really proud of myself like I felt the same way when I did my first like round off (laughs) (laughs) were you like cool (laughs) just like messing around doing like tumbling things or was this in like an organized setting no it was just same as same as the bike ride it was like in my front yard So wait, how old was your brother? You said you guys were sharing this one bike. How how did that yeah. work? Well, it had pegs in the back, so he would be he would I would be riding it, and then he would be standing behind me, like holding onto my shoulder. And he didn't learn. He's a, he's two and a half years younger than me, so he didn't get on the bike until you know I was up in boarding school, and he was down south getting nurtured by my auntie. So it was, you know, like I'm one of six kids. We don't, we just, we, we're just so used to sharing everything. There's like no sense. There's nothing that's just, just mine, you know? Um, so it was, it was pretty easy to share with him and I adore him. He's, he's my favorite sibling. So 
Is everyone aware of this? Is this news to anyone? <laughs> I think everyone pretty much knows. Okay. <laughs> it's it's cool. been clear. Okay. Yeah. So you move to the States at some point and yep. start writing in Boston. Mm-hmm. What was that experience like? Was it just like, man, I should just get a bike? Or did somebody encourage you to do that? Or like, how did that come about? Hmm. Um, well, before I moved to Boston, I was in, uh, I was an undergrad, I dropped out of undergrad, because I was like, really concerned about climate change. And in that moment, uh, like, 21 or 22, I decided I didn't need a college degree to change the world. So I dropped out of school. And that's when I moved to Boston. But when I was at school, Um, I was part of the environmental club there and was doing a bunch of environmental activism in my hometown and on campus. I was at Southern Connecticut State University in New Haven. Gotcha. Um, And with the environmental club, we were getting a lot of folks to start using bikes for shorter commutes because we were having a big parking lot problem. Like everyone uh, couldn't find enough parking spaces for their cars, but a lot of people were only commuting about a mile or two miles away from school. So there was, there was this effort on the environmental futurists to get bikes out there. And I think just, you know, just being an environmentalist gives you a, a a love and an affinity for the bicycle. Um, So I've always just kind of advocated for that, you know, combustible engines, no, fossil fuels, no, bikes, great. Human power makes you feel good. Um, I don't think anybody else really, I just thought that people who rode bikes were cooler. (laughs) How often does that happen? (laughs) (laughs) That's so cool. Uh, I think, I think that, that movie had just come out with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Cream Rush. Rush, That's what it was called. Um, (laughs) Bikes were just cool, you know, and I was trying to make environmentalism really cool. So I was like, we'll get the bike people, but that'll, that'll help our cause. Is it, is it Um, cool now? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know anymore. (laughs) Okay. So what was the first, what was your first adult bike of choice? Mm. And where did you get um, it? My first like adult bike of choice was um, I bought one off of my roommate in Boston. It was a Shogun, like a, a black Shogun. <laughs> was it a Shogun, Shogun Sport? I think so. <laughs> but it was a little too big for me. But, you know, it was it was awesome. It just gave me a lot of freedom and um it was the first one that I actually bought you know I paid money for it Mm -hmm. it was like a hundred bucks but um it was mine I really liked it um having something that was actually mine felt really great instead of like this communal shared bicycle (laughs) that we had at the at the university bike borough um so that was great but the first bike that I really fell in love with was my 85 stump jumper that was gifted to me on my 30th birthday Um, by my sweetheart because it you know as much as I love my first adult shogun and it brought me around to like different shows and people different houses and stuff in Boston it was um it I didn't love it it was like a it was a vehicle to get me from point a to point b but the the 85 lux red stump jumper that I named Antonio Gramsci was the one that made me feel like I could do anything on the bike that 
like I have a lot of anxiety and depression and a lot of it kicks in when I feel like I don't have an escape from a situation. Like I'm not in control in this, in a situation and I can't leave. Mm-hmm. And the bike just, this bike was like, I can leave and I can go anywhere. Like I'll be fine. I've got my tent. I've got my sleeping bag. You know, I'll be fine anywhere. Um, and Gramsci gave me that. So uh, that is to me, that is ultimate freedom. And um if, if you have anxiety similar to mine, then it's it's really reassuring and comforting to know that you can just leave and be fine because you, you got it. Okay, so you dropped out of undergrad, moved to Boston, <laughs> got a show yep. gun from your roommate, and that was your very yep. own that you didn't have to share. Mm-hmm. Um, and then how did you use it to help with your fight against climate change or to make more people aware of the need for one. Yeah, I, I wasn't actively using bikes um, to fight climate change because at the time I was uh, organizing with Mountain Justice when I was in Boston to stop mountaintop removal in Appalachia. What is that? Um, mountaintop removal. It's when, in, specifically in Appalachia, it's, it's fucking horrible, but it's when it's when coal companies go into usually rural, you know, Appalachia and blow up tops of mountains with explosives because coal, like, let's say this is the mountain coal, like happens in seams like this. So they just blow off the top and then scrape the, the, the seams of coal off. And, you know, the top of the mountain is gone forever top of the mountain, the mountain is gone forever. And it's like in valleys that are filled with normally streams and, you know, other, other watersheds that people count on in the area. And it like the first mountaintop removal site I saw was just absolutely devastating. And it um, planted this idea of climate justice that was different than what I had learned. Like, um, I I felt a lot of affinity with like hillbillies and Appalachians who were poor and white um, because they they were kind of going through the same thing. Like I learned that if you dehumanize an entire group of people, then you can commit atrocities against them and it's fine. But the white thing was uh, kind of puzzling for me at that point because I was like, you guys are white. How can they do that? And it's, it's this stereotype of like, Appalachians or hillbillies like they're not a white they're like a lesser white so we can we can do that you know Um, right that's what I kept hearing over and over again but from a lot of the the organizers from Appalachia they were like you know they were socialists and union organizers and they were the people who were actually making big changes in really big ways at the turn of the century and they continue to so they were always seen as a threat by the powers that be so you know uh nothing about bikes but a lot about you know the environment and how we relate to to the world and the devastating impacts of mountaintop removal is uh you know i couldn't live in appalachia because like i don't want to like i understand that atrocities happen to poor whites but I don't want to be with the poor whites because I also see, saw how how they are with each other even and that wasn't an environment I wanted to be in so I kept safe in Boston and organized like week-long action camps for students to come to Appalachia look at mountaintop removal sites and then um, had campaigns that they could plug into that we were running as well throughout the year that's a lot <laughs> 
Okay, so how did you get from there now living in a van, sometimes in Connecticut, sometimes in Arizona, and wherever the weather is favorable? I mean, honestly, I should, I gave up on organizing, like, <laughs> and I gave up on um, on that like consciously a few years ago um, because I realized that. Uh, some things that I believed so firmly were not as firm and that the things that I was holding on to so tightly during my uh, environmental activism was um, was kind of a mirage. So I needed to figure out for myself like where my fight is and um, and bring it to wherever whatever I want to be drawn to. instead it, like essentially I wanted to make my, um, um, how I show up in the world sustainable. And I knew that the way I could make it sustainable was to enjoy life myself, <laughs> um, and know what I'm actually fighting for. Uh, it's so like, real. It's so what, real. Yeah. Yeah. It's Especially lot. when people start dying around you. Like that's, that's just, um, it's a lot. That'll, that'll take it out of you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So did you find your fight in a sustainable way? I think so. Um, it's always, it always ebbs and flows still. Uh, <laughs> um, so I organized the WTF bike explorers um, within cycling. So as, as I got into the bike and got in the van, I was touring for the first two years that I was, I I actually did end up going back to school, graduated with an anthropology degree, and then I went on bikes full time. Um, and so I started that with um, this thing I called Bike for Tibet. Um, so right after graduating, when I turned 30 from undergrad, I, uh, I did a tour of this country, like kind of sporadically, um, wherever people would have me to talk about climate change in Tibet. Um, I, I had learned, I'd been learning about, uh, the impacts of climate change. So you did were of this country, meaning the U S yeah, you were talking about climate change in Tibet, but you weren't in Tibet talking about climate change. It was so hard. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So you were in the, doing a tour of the U S talking about climate change that was happening in Tibet. Got it. Carry on. Yeah. Yeah, because people have been talking about climate change for a really long time. I was part of those discussions, but no one talked about climate change um, impacts from in my country, in my homeland that I feel so connected to, but I've never been to. And knowing climate change issues the way I did, um, I knew that like I wouldn't be able to return home if uh, if I didn't talk about this stuff. And you know, there's just a whole lot of issues there, but yeah, I did that. And that, that made my, um, my activism a little more sustainable because I was writing and every day pretty much. And then being able to talk and being able to think, you know, all day when you're writing about what you're going to say, what kind of impact you, you are looking for, what kind of asks you're going to make from your audience. If that's like too much or, um, not enough or not specific enough, you know, you, you get to think about this stuff. So that was really nice. Did you ride across? Did you ride up? You ride down? Like just kind of all I, over? I bounced. I started in Seattle 
and went down to Portland and then bounced down to California, bounced around to Baja, California, and then to Texas. I did a lot of bouncing. It wasn't like a like a connected line. I wasn't riding every day. I just kind of went to places that wanted me to talk to them about <laughs> climate change. And, and did you find it to be effective? <laughs> like sometimes I feel like when I do talks and like activism type things, like in the moment, everyone's super excited about stuff, but you can almost see your words going like, like leaving them as soon as they walk out the door. And it's, Mm-hmm. a lot it's like so not disappointing but like did it feel effective <laughs> no yep <laughs> no I mean, I'm I'm just also really hard on myself and I uh I expect too much I expect perfection a lot of the times and generally I'm disappointed in most in myself mostly that I didn't do things perfectly but you know, I had a lot of expectations. Um, I didn't set specific goals. My And I think that was a problem. This was like an awareness raising campaign. And I don't necessarily love awareness raising campaigns. Um, but the challenge for me on that tour was like a twofold tour of, you know, like, uh, nobody knows about Tibet, really, um, unless you're Tibetan, <laughs> or like a Tibet expert or something. Um, or if you study Tibetan Buddhism, you know about Tibetan Buddhism, but you don't know about the, the political realities of actual Tibetans. Um, so there's there's that one challenge, don't know. And then like climate change, which nobody wants to talk about because it's scary and looming and it feels helpless. You feel helpless a lot of the time. So it was like, don't, don't know and don't want to talk about it. <laughs> like, and I was bringing both of those things to people. So yeah, people did leave the room and I saw the ideas that the the seeds that I was trying to plant just go away as well. And, you know, that's why I stopped when I did, because I was like, this isn't, this isn't that effective. I think I need to reassess (laughs) here. So was the project after that WTF Explorers? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's what started. Explorers. Yep. Yep. Cause, um, yeah. And tell me more All, about that. Well, that, that was just like, <laughs> that was frustrated me at just getting into bikes and seeing nobody, you know, who um, I was excited to see riding, you know, <laughs> like uh, everyone looked kind of the same, you know, the same mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. I saw in Boston, the same people that I saw in movies, Jason Gordon Lovett and Birmingham Rush. Like it was all, it was all the same. And I've always been about like change and seeing things that are really exciting. Like, um, and that wasn't happening. I, I, I was just kind of bored and, um, and pissed. I was like bored and pissed. So I found other people who are kind of annoyed at that trend too. And we, um, we started organizing this WTF bike explorers to, um, to, to change, what we didn't like, at least in adventure cycling, which is already such a very small, you know, fraction of, of cycling in general. And we were like, it's totally possible here. Um, so we started in our, in our very tiny, um, tiny sphere uh, to include more people. Cause there's so many folks who are women, trans, femme, non-binary, 
POCs who have been bike adventuring for a long time. We just haven't been connecting with each other. Right. Um, and that first year, it was so amazing and moving to see and hear from so many other folks that were, were feeling the same thing that I was. You know, that felt amazing, amazing. Um, and so we had to do it again the year after. And now we are trying to reach more people with podcasts and publications and a um, gravel team. Um, and I think each one of those projects will um, will aid in the goal of making cycling um, and adventure cycling more, I don't know, uh, just add a little bit of spice. Just a um, touch. Just, just a smidgen just a tiny of spice. Bit, you know, like a little pinch. Um, I noticed at the very it's like, I don't know if it's like an outpost or whatever, but in Atlanta. And I thought, that was really cool. Are there, yeah, an, are there a number Devin. of them? <laughs> There's Devin. Yeah, um, it was cool. The first year that we had the summit, there uh, WTF or Bike Explorers in Mid-Atlantic popped up. And this is, you know, we, we kind of DIY'd this <laughs> from the beginning. So right. other people started DIYing it too because they were like, it's necessary. This feels awesome. Riding away with um, like five to 18 WTF identified people who are on loaded bikes going into the woods feels awesome. And they wanted to do that more. So they, they just organized themselves, which is sick. And then Devin down in Atlanta was like, I want to do that too. I am also tired of the same stuff. Um, and I want to hang out with people who are like me. It's just more fun that way. You know, we've all been on camping trips with people who are not WTF, and there's just a different atmosphere when we're together versus when there's um, non-WTFers present. So it's been really cool to see folks doing their own thing and organizing their own communities because that's that's what we were hoping for from the beginning. And um, it's happening because it's necessary and really fun, I hope. <laughs> okay, so you... Is, is there a, there's a WTF bike explorers podcast? Is that what you're saying? Yep. It's going to, it's called within and without, and it will be airing soon. Awesome. I'll keep an eye out for that. Yeah. And then a gravel yeah. team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I knew you'd be excited about that one. Going with the wave. I mean, I am a reluctant, I, I would never call myself a gravel reefer, um, but mm-hmm. I, I will show up to a few events this year, I think, just for the fun of it. I, I think I have this like yeah. hard, fast rule of like, I will only dedicate myself to road competition because I don't think I have any more to give to something else in that sort of capacity. Like anything else I do on a bike, I want it to just be fun. Right. Um, yeah. So uh, it's really cool to see that like, a WTF gravel team is coming to fruition. Is it going to be kind of like the big events around the country or like, what's the, can you share any of the plan? Yeah. 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 So we're having a camp at the end of February <clears throat> and we will have five members of the team. We'll, we'll, there will be five gravel team racers this year, WTF racers this year. And we are asking for 
um, the team to show up to, to pretty big races. Like the, the mid South is going to be one, which is, Mm -hmm. I'm really glad that they changed their name because one of the, one of the things was we weren't going to go to that if they didn't change their name. Um, so I'm glad they did because we can now be a part of it. And, um, dirty Kansas is another one that we're looking at, but submissions are really difficult. Um, but yeah, I mean, because of the lottery, yeah, it's it's kind of hard to get into. It's a barrier um, and something. Yeah, because like, they they've done their like two hundred miles, two hundred women initiative in the past, and like really, you know, increased that awareness and desire for women to participate. And like, then you get to the point where it's like now you got the interest, but you don't have the space. I guess that's a happy problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, we'll see. <laughs> I mean, it's a, the, we wanted to, we wanted to be at these big races because we wanted to be seen, um, like at these big races and kind of like change, change that up a little bit. Um, I mean, I did Kanda two years ago and I mean, there were, there were women there, but yeah, <laughs> that's, that's what I got. <laughs> Yeah. Same. <laughs> there, there were women. There were some women there. There were, yeah. there were women there. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's cool for WTF Bike Explorers to come in because we come in there with a pretty specific like goal and mission and like a political ideology. Uh, and I think that's that's really cool. I think um I would like to see people in who are riding bikes talking more politics, talking more about what's actually happening because we ride our bikes in this world. And when they're sport noms. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> what are you doing? Oh, it's always about race with you, you, isn't it? it. You're destroying bikes for everyone. <laughs> Jesus. It's insane. <laughs> Just let us have our thing. It's like, when was it ever non-political? Like bikes have always been a political sphere. Like it doesn't, everything is political. Cause. And you know, the only, oh God, you're getting me all riled up I'm now. <laughs> the people who are saying that are very specific people. You know, you can almost guarantee the kind of person who utters those words. It's the like occasional said. outlier and it sometimes throws me for a loop, but it's yeah, they're pretty <laughs> consistent in, in, in type. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. Are there any other events if we're just putting it out in the world that you guys are looking for spaces in a in these big races and maybe somebody listening Mm -hmm. can reach out and help a little bit if they have access to spots. Yeah. I mean, if there are, we're also looking at the old growth classic because that's really fun. Where's that one? And it's in California. It's in um, the, around the Bay area. I'm terrible with this stuff. Um, I I get lost in my backyard. It's terrible. Don't no, I don't navigate it. It's not my job. <laughs> nope. <laughs> can't do it. Can't do it right now. I got other stuff going on in my brain. I can't focus. Um Yeah, I mean we've we've got plans. I'm not I'm not the like the bottom liner for the gravel team. Right. Sarah Swallow is the is the um the head honcho of it. So we've got 
a list of um, events that we hope to do this year. And we're not asking members of the team to commit to all of them, but some of them. Um, And we'll see. We'll hash this stuff out when we're at camp. And it'll be fun to see what what races people are excited about, what races they don't want to do, um, and just get a better sense of the the plan for the year. It's exciting. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I think it's fun. Like most of the good stuff in the past few years to happen have happened out of just like frustration and like lack of existence of whatever it is somewhere else. And I think they've been the most fruitful projects, um, at least in the DEI space for me, just seeing like, hey, we want to have more of a presence. Let's just put this team together. And like, mm-hmm. I always get the like, why don't you create a team? And I don't think pe- people realize how much work that is. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's really nice to see, you know, other people organizing and like creating mm-hmm. these spaces. And gravel is honestly the next frontier in cycling. Um, people are swarming to it. And so it's mm-hmm. imperative that if a DM <laughs> effort is made, that it gets made now while it's still in its infancy and like really growing as a discipline. And I think it can make a world of difference from how things kind of grew on the road front or even the mountain bike front or all the other fronts like there's potential in gravel but um there's still quite a bit of work to be done yeah yeah (laughs) the trends are similar (laughs) um yeah I, i don't i really don't think that like our our gravel team or any kind of like um organizing on my part is going to bring about the, like the changes I I want to see, but it's like, I'm trying, I'm doing this little thing at least, you know, add up, like maybe your thing inspired somebody else's thing and then someone else's thing. And like, that's the idea. I feel like we always put too much pressure on ourselves as individuals or individual organizations or clubs or whatever to like do the whole thing. And it's not possible. Like we can't individually do it, but if we all do something and usually if it's something we want to do and something we're passionate about then that will find through and be like way more effective than like doing things we think we have to do um mm-hmm. and I don't know I think it's really cool that you guys saw this space and um this void and just created a thing that you wanted for yourself and, and yeah and here you are well how many years is it then I, it's we're on our third year oh, now awesome um, yeah. Yeah. It's been cool. It's been really great to just connect with other folks all over, all over the place who are like, yep, right there with you. Um, that feels really good. So what about your adventures outside of WTF bike explorer these days? What are you getting into? Um, um I, I've also kind of gotten into the racing thing. Um, I, I'm, I'm doing a lot of inward journeys and learning like how to be more effective as, as a, as a speaker and as a, as a person who wants deeper change. Uh, I don't want to get my heart broken all the time because I'm disappointed in somebody. So I'm like, okay, I got to figure out what's going on here. Um, and I've been on a lot of amazing bike adventures so far, um, that have been incredible and have taught me a bunch of stuff about people and my perceptions and, um, some navigation, but not really, (laughs) (laughs) 
So this year, <laughs> this year I started a YouTube channel with my friend Cheech, who I love so much. Um, actually, because of uh, your Philly Bike Expo talk, like we we came up with this YouTube channel idea at the Philly Bike Expo after we came and saw you talk, um, and you were talking about the Get Better Together um, program that you're doing. Uh, and Cheech and I were both, you know, kind of uncomfortable at the time calling ourselves cyclists and trying to figure out why and like what's going on with us internally. Um, and we decided to commit to each other and uh, like get better, get better on the bicycle or more confident or faster, whatever it is. I mean, just as you said, like you, your goal can be whatever you want it to be. Mm -hmm. um, and that's pretty freeing. That's really freeing to not be restricted to someone else's idea of what a cyclist is. Because um, for me, it's it's just discipline. And I don't really have good discipline at all. Like I'm, I'm a free spirited hippie, like essentially. So and Cheech felt like she needed a little more discipline in the cycling realm, too. She's a boss, like in, in all other areas. So I needed her and she probably doesn't need me, but we help each other oh, out. Stop it. Yeah, we help each other out. And I just like her so much. So it feels like, um, again, one of these things where I want to be, I want to be progressing and growing and getting better um, all the time, but also have fun doing it. And this is going to be fun. So my adventure this year, well, you know, I'll, I'll be riding my bike and doing a bunch of bike tours um but the goal is to just become uh you know more confident and a little bit faster every year it's like just get a little bit faster you'll be you'll be great just there get you. a little fast I mean yeah. I think for me it's kind of like I'm like publicly announced this really really big goal and I think part of me was kind of annoyed with the idea that that made me valid in so many eyes. If that makes sense? Mm. Where it's like, oh, mm -hmm. we can respect you now because you want to do something um, at like a high level. Yeah. Versus like, oh, we can't respect the person standing next to you because they just want to ride their bike on the weekends. And I'm like, that's crap. Like we all just like riding bikes and we can celebrate all of that. And I think mm -hmm. just riding bikes on the weekends is just as exciting as wanting to race in pro bike races like it's just a different goal it's just not yeah. what they want to do and I think people don't pay attention to their individual happiness enough like they don't base it on what truly makes them happy they base it on like what other people have decided is cool and that's yeah. stupid <laughs> It does make sense though. Like, I mean, when I, when I saw your goal for the first time, like it, it shook me. I was like, hell yeah. And, um, I, I don't, I don't really, I can't really tell you like what, what I was thinking when the hell yeah came out, but it was like, just having, having a big goal is really cool. Like yeah, I, sure. it's, it was, it was really cool to see. And I really liked it and I was like that's that's gonna be a rad journey but yeah totally like I 
I do this to myself all the time where I feel like if I'm not the best of something or if I'm not doing the most raddest, like baddest. I don't know. Oh, I think a lot of people find that really frustrating. I, I, yeah. I don't no. desire to be the best. Um, no. I just like racing bikes and I want to race bikes at a high level. And I think, <laughs> yes. I think it was a specific type of person that behaved that way. Like I get the excitement of a big goal. Like whenever I see yeah. – um, you know, a WTF person or a person of color or a black person, you know, doing big things. That's so exciting because we don't really yeah. have that representation everywhere and yeah. we need that. Um, but I feel like growing up, there was this sense of like feeling like you needed to adapt into a certain scope of society or a certain type of person in order to be accepted. And I never, yeah, I never did that well. And so I felt like when I announced this goal, then that acceptance was coming from a lot of people. And I didn't like that because I'm like, I don't, mm. I'm not doing this for you to like me. Like, I don't care mm. <laughs> what you want or appreciate. That's not the point. I'm not doing this for you, but yeah, no, it's definitely <laughs> exciting. Like I, I'm not, I'm not, um, I don't want to like downplay the excitement of doing something big. Yeah. I think it's really cool. I just don't want that to be the only factor that decides value. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm struggling with that right now hard. because I'm realizing that I did need a lot of like institutional and like big goal legitimacy to legitimize myself. And I'm, I, I'm noticing that I do this and I'm like, what is missing where I, I always feel like I have to, keep reaching for that bigger and bigger and bigger goal and keep putting more and more and more stuff on my plate. Like what is, what's happening? I need a therapist. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but for real, I think, I think I could definitely benefit from that. Um, so cool. So you're doing yeah. a lot of in, inner work and going on really awesome bike adventures and maybe improving your navigation. Um, is there any one particular thing you're excited about for this year that you're looking forward to? Um, you know, the, the election has kind uh, of been no, 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 moving no. over. <laughs> my, willful, my willful ignorance is, is there. <laughs> It's fine. Oh God. You're right. That's, that's just been freaking me out. So I just, I just want to go on as many rides as possible. <laughs> and um, I want to start organizing. I've been in conversation with Devin from the Atlanta WTF chapter about starting a, a POC only. Um, I like exclusive spaces. WTF is an exclusive space. I want there to be a POC exclusive space for cyclists and people who like being in the outdoors because I am a little bit tired of seeing how the outdoors is presented mm -hmm. um, in these really troubling, problematic ways when like my ancestors, my, well, my direct ancestors lived as close to the land as possible. Like I don't need somebody telling me how to, anyway. Yeah. That's been frustrating. Mm -hmm. So I want to start building around that. Uh -huh. um, Do it. It's, Do it. it <laughs> yeah it's the same as the wtf genesis like that i i kind of feeling the surge and talking to other folks who i'm connecting really well with who are saying the same things and i know that we're not alone um so i want to i want to start building on that cool. you know put more stuff on the plate you know there's always more things to do sam and i Never sam Tipio, we we always congratulate each other for doing the most 
Um, yeah. Because <laughs> that's just, you know, it's just how we are. Yep. There's just always more. Oh. You it's might be doing more, a lot. But I promise you, there is more you can yeah. be doing. Should, yep. should you be doing it? Probably not. But there is yeah. always more that you can do. Um, uh-huh. Cool. All right. So I think I've taken up enough of your time. But before you go, if there is one thing that you could tell other women like yourself or people like yourself, um, what would that be? Um, like, come find me, come find each other. Uh, we need each other. Uh, like I need, I need you. Like I, even if we don't know each other, like I needed to see your big goals. I needed to meet Sam. I needed to see, you know, um, Alex Houchin win the single speed for DT. Like I need, I need to see them. Um, so let's find each other. <laughs> like I guess How can they find you? I'm on the gram. I'm very easy to reach. I try to respond and I, I usually, I do respond to every single message I get. And if it's a person of color, I am especially all over it. Um, but I, I respond to respond to all the messages. Like I'm an easy person to reach on the gram, uh, Facebook. Uh, no, what's actually your, I'm not what's on your handle. My handle on Instagram is good old nom. It's good. O L E N A M. Um, Perfect. yeah. Drop into the DMS. Email me at bike for Tibet at Gmail. Like we can, we can find each other and help me organize this POCs in the outdoors thing, because we definitely could have some fun there. Alrighty. And just make it about race all the time. <laughs> I mean, they're going to be mad about it if you do it or not. So you might as well just go for yeah. it. Go all in. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Thank you so much. Bicycle, 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 race. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Quick Brown Foxes. If you would like to learn more about Nam, you can visit her on Instagram at goodoldnam, G-O-O-D-O-L-E-N-A-M. I would also like to thank my sponsors and partners, Live Cycling, SRAM, Cliff Bar, Carmichael Training Systems, Spot Insurance, Bike Flights, Kika Stretch Studios Atlanta, and Diaspora Kitchen. I would also like to thank my patrons. You help make productions like this possible and allow me to pay people for their time and their work. I'm working on a very special project and I can't wait to share it with all of you. So thank you very much to current patrons, Amy Angiri, Anne Gentle, Anna Schwinn, Anthony Ryan, Vinyl Tompkins, Brian Jascott, Camille Rainin, Kat C., Christina Torres, Elizabeth Reincourt, Ella Green, Flora Soon, Jay Middleton, Jess Strangward, Karen Brooks, Leanne Evanson, Lillian Cool, Lewis Hodge, Michelle Smith, Renee Cannon, Roland Hilgarth, Rosie Jacobson, Roy Stevens, Sarah Williams, and Tara. Thank you so much. If you would like to become a patron and support my work, you can do so at patreon.com slash equipbrownfox. For all things Aisha McGowan, you can visit me at equipbrownfox.com or follow me on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at I suppose, A-Y-E-S-U-P-P-O-S-E. That's all for now. Until next time. Thank you. We're, we're going to do what Billy Porter Dude. did for the red carpet. <laughs> like what? Yeah.